This morning I want to uh, continue the exploration of how to practice with challenges. And this is really the third cycle of that series. In, I believe, uh, January, February, I particularly focused on using um, heart, what we might call heart practices. And there, um, focused a lot on forgiveness and compassion, but we could also look at uh, loving kindness or, or joy or gratitude. But looked at the place of working with heart practices in challenging situations or when there are difficulties as a way to bring uh, balance to oneself and also bring the, really the heart of compassion into challenges. Then in July, a second uh, series on working with challenges, particularly by focusing on practicing with thoughts and emotions. And we looked at, in general, how to practice with thoughts and emotions and also uh, how to work, especially with with difficult thoughts and emotions. We looked at times at uh, judgmental mind, anger, and fear, I think, especially. Uh, and we could bring in other, other difficult um, emotions where we may become uh, quite reactive. And we looked at that. And the, the focus for today and next time, my intended focus, is to start to bring the practice into our more relational lives. In a sense, so far, we've looked at um, individual practices that certainly can be brought into relationships. I can come to uh, interpersonal challenge with compassion, with mindfulness, with uh, skillful tracking of my emotions and skillfully working with difficult emotions. I can certainly do that. Um, but there's a further way that we can actually move into what we might call relational practices as well. Those were not so developed in the original tradition. Uh, I think there, there were implicitly relational practices in terms of living in a community. And there were sometimes uh, conflict, what we would now call conflict resolution or conflict transformation methods of working with difficulties in the community. And certainly the heart practices would lead to a sense of connection, compassion, being with others. Uh, but I think in our time, we can also really focus more on developing relational practices. And, and um, as many of you know, I've been uh, quite interested in those practices and have developed them, uh, I think, further than, at least that I find, in the tradition in terms of speech practice. And I've also been very interested in um, working with conflict and working with uh, how to make our work, our service in the world, our attempts at social change um, continuous with our inner practices. And so uh, I want to today move more into looking at relational practices and with a particular focus, I think this time and next time, on how do we practice wh when there are conflicts. And I want, I think right away, to uh, define conflict uh, as, in a, in, a, in a simpler way and maybe more neutral way, conflict is the existence of differences. Could be differences in values or objectives. And it doesn't necessarily um, involve hostility or aggression. And so, so for ex example, um, I might have a conflict uh, about uh, whether to come to Spirit Rock this Wednesday morning because on the one hand, there are always bounteous offerings <laughs> and spiritual illumination often happens. On the other hand, I'm tired. <laughs> and so that, that is a conflict, right? And so I'm using conflict in this neutral sense. It doesn't necessarily involve a problem even. It just is a difference between goals or objectives or values. And so I might, you know, we might, um, uh, I and my partner might have a conflict. Where do I want to, uh, what do I want to do this evening? Oh, I've really been 
feeling cooped up. I really want to maybe go out to a restaurant. And the other, the other one says, oh, I just have been so out there. I want to have a quiet evening. <laughs> right? And that, in a sense, is a conflict that has to be negotiated. Right? It's a difference. It doesn't necessarily involve a problem. It doesn't necessarily involve hostility. It doesn't necessarily involve aggression. So uh, to some extent, we have to decondition our associations of the word conflict that have led many of us to have long histories of being conflict avoidant. <laughs> Anyone relate to that? <laughs> so uh, I'll, get to, I'll get to that conditioning in a moment. So um, again, we can have conflicts that uh, um, move into tension, right? We know that. We can have, uh, you know, or we could even have the same issue one, one day becomes a, 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 something really difficult and challenging, and the other day it's easily worked out, even with the same content, right? And so, obviously, what we bring to the differences makes a huge difference. Um, one of the teachers that I've worked with uh, on conflict is a wonderful man named Johann Galtung, who's one of the great peacemakers of our, of our time, and he's in his early 80s now, originally Norwegian, uh, actually, his father was the mayor of Oslo at the time of the Nazi occupation and was imprisoned. Uh, he eventually was released. Uh, but, uh, and Johann Galtung was uh, probably a young teenager at that time, and he was active with the resistance in uh, Norway against the Nazis. So he was quite, uh, quite involved at that time. And, uh, later, at a pretty young age, 30, founded the whole field of peace studies. And one of his uh, starting points for his work was to say that uh, peace isn't the absence of war, but it's the absence of violence. And he was also the person who developed uh, the well-known, by now, distinctions between different forms of violence. He, he was the one who first started talking about structural violence, which a lot of people talk at times about institutional violence. So that violence isn't just face-to-face uh, -face or interpersonal violence, but that we can understand systems as being, as really um, producing violence in the sense of violations of human rights and so forth, or premature death, right? And so he talked about direct violence, which is people fighting, cultural violence, and structural violence. And so was, for a lot of people, those are very, very useful uh, distinctions. This is how he defined uh, conflict. Conflict is a contradiction or clash between goals. It's dangerous when it leads to violent behavior and hateful attitudes. Unresolved conflict may turn very violent, but the search for acceptable and sustainable solutions is also an opportunity to create new reality. We get violence and war when conflict is handled badly and peace when it is handled well. But the capacity to handle a conflict relation rests with countries, persons, and actors in general. A major task in today's world is to increase that capacity through a conflict transformation culture, stimulating constructive, concrete, creative ideas. In a culture of peace, a culture of peaceful conflict transformation is a key component. So that's what I want to explore, uh, primarily uh, at this point starting with simpler conflicts. And part of my motivation was also, I think since I last was here a, a month ago, maybe like many of you, I've been quite influenced by the um, level of conflict that's turned violent in the world, right? I mean, it's, some, it's, uh, it's a lot for any of us to handle or to be with or to understand. And it's very easy just to not want to be with it, not want to deal with it, or to even go to despair or hopelessness and, and to the extent that we focus on it, right? So there, you know, whether we're talking about uh, Israel, Gaza, Ukraine, uh, Iraq, Syria, or Ferguson, Missouri, there, there's a lot happening now that's really, that seems like an intensification, certainly uh, 
this wasn't the experience six months ago, you know, even though there were, there, were a lot, there were a lot of challenging things. But a lot has seemed to, to accumulate. How many people feel that sense of a lot right now and, and hard, to, hard to be with, understand, right? You know, even you know, for many of us being in places where, where it's, it's at a distance somewhat, right? So how to, how to, how to work with that? Um, the key insight that we looked at, or the key starting point that we looked at last time, and I should say, um, I'll say what it was. The key starting point was that with our practice, we make a commitment to work with and transform our own reactivity. And I talked uh, the last few times about how the simplest way to understand our practice is that we turn reactivity into responsiveness. And we essentially, we take responsibility for our own minds, which is um, a very incredible thing to do. We take responsibility for our own, basically for our own experience. And so we, in a way, make a commitment to both access uh, beautiful states like mindfulness, compassion, wisdom, courage, equanimity. And, and sometimes I think our practice has these two parts. On the one hand, we cultivate beautiful qualities and learn to live in those places more and more. We cultivate you know, awareness, mindfulness, and we learn, especially being in protected environments, what we, what we could call training environments, we learn how to access those um, capacities and develop them and how to, in the day-to-day uh, -day experience, how to bring them into our experience, you know, with family, with work, just with day-to-day -day ups and downs. How do we do that? And we uh, also, really the second half is, we look where we get stuck. Right? We look where we become reactive. And this is really, in a way, the glorious and amazing part of our practice, that our difficulties, our stuckness, our suffering is, from the starting point, workable. Isn't that a blessing? Right? Isn't that amazing? I mean, I think before I practiced, you know, I, I, think, I think my life was organized by wanting good things and, wanting, and not wanting bad things, as defined by me. Right? <laughs> And, uh, a certain, and, of course, part of that was uh, strong tendencies not to want to deal with problems, right? Could be called conflict avoidant. There were, there were very strong tendencies to think that when there were problems, um, often they were other people's faults. And sometimes, they would, sometimes inescapably they were mine, and I might be hard on myself, right? And so... Um, but there, there wasn't a sense, really, of the workability. And that's, that's really this whole second area of our practice. We make a commitment and actually take an interest in, over time, to work with where things are difficult, where, we're, where our minds are reactive, where we're stuck. And I think we make a deep commitment to that. Ultimately, that deep commitment to work with reactivity is a tremendous force for peace and transformation in the world, you know, and what we, you know, one of the models I have is that we want eventually, we, we um, really, we need to train to develop these capacities in protected environments, you know, and you can even think of uh, a lot of the people who entered into social conflict, and I think especially of the civil rights movement, there were trainings in protected environments to develop the capacities to respond to difficulty, right? And they trained, you know, if you see, there was a film called A Force More Powerful, a PBS series on nonviolence, and it shows an amazing, probably the most uh, developed training for nonviolence that took place in the civil rights movement took place in Nashville in 1960s. Some of you maybe have seen that film. It's also written up quite a lot. Um, and you can see the, um, the trainings taking place in these protected environments later to be brought out into difficult circumstances. So that's our, really our modus operandi. We train 
And we need to train in protected environments because when things get too difficult, it's too hard, right? And if the training's not there, we'll tend to be at the mercy of our conditioning and our habits. And so it's also something I emphasized the last times I was here, that in terms of of practicing with challenges or difficulties, a key understanding is that we need to practice where the, uh, the challenges are uh, not so difficult. And I use the model of the um, um, scale of the diver. Degree of difficulty, zero to 10. We need to practice with difficulties, especially where they're not at the eight or nine or 10 level. Even though everyone comes to often to spiritual practice saying, I want to deal with my scale 10 difficulties, right? And, and yet the reality of practice is we actually need to have an interest in practicing where they're not so difficult. Maybe even the threes, the fours, the fives. Because we have to develop capacity. And this, is, this will be very true for conflict. That's why uh, I want to really emphasize the very ordinary conflicts of what should I do for lunch? You know? should, I, should I go out or go home? When I'm home, what should I have for lunch? <laughs> you know, or you know, should I stay in this job? Maybe a little higher degree of difficulty. You know, and we'll, what I'll suggest is a, almost like a methodology for working with any conflict. And my hope is that we, in the next week, can really apply that to um, all sorts of conflicts. Again, understanding conflict just as a difference of values or goals, you know, um, that we can apply them during, during the next week. Okay, so what I'm going to focus on really are three aspects, and I'll probably focus more on some of them next time. So three aspects of working with, with conflict. The first is really more from the wisdom side. It's seeing what conflicts are what our conditioning is around conflicts, and having a vision of how to work with conflict. And that vision will be what many of you know of as what's sometimes called a win-win model of conflict, or a both-and, where one moves away from uh, conflict as polarization and moves towards more towards cooperation, aiming towards uh, reconciliation and mutual creativity. And I believe this model and this can be applied to the most difficult conflicts, which I think in their essence actually are not so hard. It's just that the pain level gets so high that everyone gets you know, wrapped up in the pain and actually can't see clearly. And I believe that of Ferguson or even the Middle East. You know, um, you know, essentially what's difficult is when Conflicts get very extreme, you know, like in the Middle East, basically have two traumatized people mm-hmm. unable to get out of the trauma and continuing to create more trauma. And so, um, and there are a lot of other things one could say about it, it doesn't reduce to that. And so the, having a vision of how to be with conflict and then working with that with really low-level conflicts interpersonal conflicts or inner conflicts is a way to train and a way then to bring it, learn to bring it to the more difficult ones. And the second aspect I want to talk about is more the compassion aspect, that a key aspect of conflict will be empathy and compassion uh, for oneself or others and learning to bring empathy when there's conflict, including more difficult conflicts. Again, you can see that that's largely absent for many of the conflict situations in the world, you know, and empathy and compassion. And it's, it's not easy to, uh, to bring in, but in essence, it's very simple and we can train uh, with everyday experience. Okay. And then the third is taking, you know, following the guidance of wisdom and compassion is developing some ways to act. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> wisdom empathy and compassion, and skillful action with conflict. Again, always remembering that conflict isn't about something necessarily even difficult. It's just about difference. Okay.
it's helpful to see why conflicts are difficult for us. A starting point is to see that we have very strong conditioning, both post-personal and cultural, around conflict. I mentioned how, for many of us, the, there is a history of conflict avoidance. Basically, the two uh, unskillful polarities with conflict could be called avoidance and acting out. Right? One of them jumps in with reactivity, the other one pushes away with reactivity. You'll recognize those are the two forms of reactivity that I mentioned in the guidance for the sitting. Right? The, and, and this is classical in Buddhism, the two forms of reactivity are pushing away kind of compulsively or unconsciously or grabbing hold. And so with conflict, probably avoidance, as we saw earlier by a show of hands, is a very common pattern. A lot of this is cultural. You know, some of it's related to the fact um, you know, of some of the cultural aspects of the U.S. are dominated by Northern European approaches, which tend to be a little more conflict avoidant than Southern European or Eastern European, uh, not to mention other cultures, right? So I know in my family, um, the origins were uh, Eastern Europe, and I, I have a sense that conflict was a little more out in the open. Where, you know, like I used to, I lived in Boston for a time in uh, the Italian part of Boston, the North End. I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you, uh, during the summer, the windows were open and the conflicts were not kept secret. <laughs> you know, the windows were open, people you could hear yelling all the time. And, uh, you know, that was a, that's a style. It's not necessarily uh, conducive, less conducive to good relationships, right? Uh, you know, I always remember, some of you know the psychologist John Gottman, you know, who, who is like the person who's done the most empirical research on intimate relationships. And he always said that uh, there, are three, there are three styles of um, intimate relationships in relation to conflict, and all of them can permit um, uh, very good relationships. One is the avoidant approach, but yet the, the key is you have to have both uh, partners have to share the style. <laughs> he, he said he could actually talk with a couple about their, the conflict and within three minutes predict whether they'd be together in, in like three years with 94% accuracy. He actually tested himself. He could say three minutes of understanding the conflict approach and he could make a prediction. So the key is they have to be the same, <laughs> you can imagine. So the second approach uh, would be called the confrontational approach to conflict. And the third approach would be kind of the therapist's dream of, of empathic, <laughs> empathic work when conflict arises, right? Or maybe the spiritual dream. And, and actually, no one of them is better for good relationships. He said the key was the ratio of pleasant to unpleasant experiences. And he said there has to be at least a five to one ratio. And of course, a long-standing relationship can go through a year where you know, it's the five to one doesn't work because you can, as it were, trade in your capital from the earlier years. But, um, but that's what he said. So you could have uh, a avoidant couple for a given month could have, you know, like uh, five positive experiences and one negative one because the avoidance is actually going to probably avoid some pleasant experiences as well. <laughs> And then the, uh, the confrontational couple will have like 100 positive experiences and 20 negative experiences. You know? And it'll look like, you just look at it on the surface, oh, they are they have such an unstable relationship, some might say, because it's 20 times as much conflict as the first couple, but they're, they have the right ratio. <laughs> you know, so you get the point, right? So it's, 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 um, it's very interesting. So um, there are these, and it's very helpful to know what one's conditioning is around conflict. Okay. To really know what that is. Am I avoidant? Am I, do I tend to just act out with conflict? Um, what's my style? Very, very crucial. Also helpful to know that there are very strong cultural conflicts that are more avoidant in this culture. Right? And again, that's partly uh, it's due to a number of different sources. And then 
you know, so you can see that, you know, in some ways, um, you know, I mean, all the issues of race, there's heavy avoidance towards that issue, as I think we know. And at times the society opens up to it, but by and large we don't want to deal with it too much, right? And does that resonate? You know, and so, uh, and so conflicts persist, right? Because we have heavy avoidance. We also have strong cultural tendencies towards dualistic resolution of conflicts. In other words, a winner and a loser. We don't really have too many models of skillful, empathic work with conflict. In, in many ways, um, sports is the metaphor for working with conflict. Have to have a winner, right? And do you remember the horror when the All-Star game ended in a tie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sport, sports is very interesting because, you know, uh, generals use sports metaphors, right, all the time. And the other thing I was thinking of was in, in professional football, what happens if there's a tie? Sudden death. <laughs> <laughs> Sudden death. <laughs> this does influence us. You know, so uh, there are very strong tendencies towards dualistic resolutions. Think of a lot of institutions like the law. Law is structured very, in a very adversarial way, right? It's a, it's a very dualistic structure. That is not the only way to structure law. In fact, there's a very strong movement these days called restorative justice, which is much more about reconciliation. And then this comes partly from um, indigenous traditions where there were often... Um, there was a sense within the community that if there was a, um, something was done that we would call like a crime, uh, the way to see it would not be that this individual committed a crime, but that there's a violation of the, cult, of the uh, community. It's a social event, and that the proper response is a social response. So I actually saw this some when I visited uh, British Columbia and got to know a young man who as a teenager had committed a robbery. And at first they were gonna uh, bring him into the uh, Canadian criminal justice system. But his aunt remembered that there was an old tradition where they could, uh, and they had the, they had the ability uh, because of the way things were organized to actually keep him out of the Canadian criminal justice system if they had their own solution. So she remembered there was a, there was a solution whereby um, someone who had done something quote-unquote wrong would be um, sent to an island. This was on the coast up in northern British Columbia and would be sent to an island. And in this case, um, they all accepted this as a solution. He was sent to an island for a year of solitude. The elders would visit him. The elders of the community visited him and helped him with understanding and then at the end of that year, there was a bringing, there was um, what was called, a, I think, a washing ceremony, which was like a, um, uh, a bringing of him back into community and saying, you have atoned in a way for what you did. We welcome you back to the community. And this man who I met um, actually um, had his life turned around and became a leader in the community, particularly developing, he got particularly interested in working with canoes, the old um, ocean-going canoes. And he would, uh, uh, he worked with uh, like kids in trouble, bringing them back into the culture. So that would be an example of restorative justice, right? It's not so, we, we, we want to see that conditioning. We want to see that uh, conditioning. Um, Partly because of that dualism, we have very strong tendencies in conflicts uh, to project onto others, to blame others. Some, sometimes we blame ourselves, sometimes we blame others, but there are very strong tendencies to go right away to storylines which are negative, towards, especially towards the other. We know that, right? We project, we see the other person as bad, as wrong, and so forth. We get attached to outcomes with conflicts, particularly harder ones. And then 
Maybe a last point is that inevitably with, with difficult conflicts, there is that reactivity. Difficult emotions, difficult thoughts, and we often um, aren't trained to stay with them. So we can see that um, a lot of our practice is incredibly valuable for working with all these elements of conflict that normally make them difficult. In other words, we can really look at our conditioning. We can ask, what is my conditioning around conflict? We can look in the next week when a difficulty comes up, where does my mind go? Do I start blaming or or judging either myself or another? And that's really the invitation. Or we can see um, how much do I buy into the cultural conditioning? How, How much do I tend to structure things dualistically with a winner or loser? Very interesting to see that in oneself. And then we can see, am I attached to the outcome? And how can I work with reactivity? The uh, model that I'm going to uh, bring out as a way of working with conflict is this, uh, what we can call a win-win model or a both-and model. And it really is a different way to look at conflict. It's a non, we could call it a non-dual way. It's a way that can help us to um, look at conflicts differently. That's why I think of it as really developing a vision of conflict or a, um, a wisdom aspect applied to uh, conflict. And this is a, a fairly widespread model that we find especially developed by the Harvard Negotiation Project. Some of you know, how many of you have read some of those books like Getting to Yes? There are a number of uh, quite good books which bring out this, bring out this, um, bring out this model. And again, I learned it from Johann Galtung. Again, he, he actually developed a manual for the United Nations for work with conflict, and I, which, which, uh, and I, I worked with him over um, several years um, through, through different workshops. And if he ever comes to town, go, go look for him. You can also uh, look him up on the web, and there's, there are a lot of resources there. And he sometimes appears on Democracy Now! Some, so you can see him. He's, a, he's a, quite a, I was going to say quite a mensch. <laughs> okay. So the model is pretty simple, actually. It basically says, uh, and, and uh, the, uh, for the sake of the model, you can look at the handout now, there is a uh, way in which the, uh, a conflict is simplified into a dualistic conflict. In other words, there are two sides. A lot of actual conflicts are more complex. Maybe most conflicts are most complex, more complex. But in a certain way, uh, we can train by looking at conflicts in terms of having uh, two sides, and there are strong tendencies within them. We can call one side A and one side B as on the handout. And we can see that there are strong tendencies with conflicts to want one of the sides to win, especially with, with difficult conflicts. So um, we'll tend to look at, uh, let's say, um, I want to paint my house, and we, would, we could call that the issue. What color should I paint my house? Okay? And let's say I want to pi- paint it a kind of a bright color to have vibrancy and so forth. And my partner wants a subdued color to, t- to really mesh with the neighborhood. <laughs> okay? And, and so we have, um, so we start, we start to have a conflict here. And I want to go into two aspects of conflict. One of them has to do with um, how we uh, can understand uh, the deeper nature of conflict so as to work with them skillfully. And the, and the other one has to do with what are the ways to be with a conflict. Now, I think I'll do the second first, because that's more emphasized in this handout. So with any given conflict, we can, uh, we have, really have uh, five possibilities for how conflicts are, are worked with. And it's very helpful to know um, in any given conflict what each of the five resolutions mean. So the issue is, should I paint the house red or light blue? Or the issue is, what color should I paint the house? My position 
is red. My partner's position is light blue, okay? And we're going to, I'll add another term in a moment. We want to actually see what the deeper value is behind the position as a response to the issue. That's going to be the key to resolution, is actually seeing what's the deeper value. In this case, it would be, I want vibrancy, and my partner wants uh, meshing with the community, right? And those are both legitimate values. And the key in working with conflict is to get to that level. Very often, people in conflicts stay at the level of positions and never get to the deeper value and talk about that. This will be a key for working with any conflict. Okay, we'll come back to that. And so, and all of our meditative tools are going to help us get there. (laughs) You know, all of our tools of mindfulness, wisdom, compassion are going to help us to work with all the things that make conflict difficult and, and prevent us from actually taking an empathic, compassionate, wise approach. So the other aspect that's in the model is, is seeing these five possible positions. I have position A is, position A is um, the position red. Position blue, B, light blue. Okay. There are three other options. So the first option is that I win. The second option is my partner wins. There are three other options. Very crucial to know all of these are valuable. And uh, Galtung talks about the, having these others, which he, plays, he called D, C, and E. Um, he, call, he says you want to get away from the dualism and move to some, one of those three, which could be called the peace diagonal. The um, D is withdrawal or um, um, moving away from the conflict. We could also, I call it in here, avoidance. And that is sometimes valuable. If the conflict becomes too polarized, sometimes avoidance is the right strategy. Or if it's just not the right time to deal with a conflict. And so that's very crucial to know because often avoidance is extremely skillful. You know, where there's violence, we call that a ceasefire, right? And that is, that is a very positive step. It's not a resolution, but it's very helpful. And so this might be, you know, we might be really getting at each other and we say, let's take a time out. That is skillful. That's, so avoidance is sometimes very skillful, right? Very, very skillful to do. Compromise is also sometimes skillful it's not going to be ultimately satisfying because the deeper interests won't necessarily be met, but it's sometimes the best one can do. And so what would be the compromise between red and light blue? <laughs> Lavender. What? Ah. Yeah. So, yeah, so the compromise might take different, different shapes. Um, different shapes, or different, might take different colors, you know, so it could actually be, and, and here we'd ideally get to the underlying interest. Can we have something which is both, you know, what's the midway point between vibrancy and fitting in with the community? What would it be? So maybe light orange or something, I don't know. <laughs> okay, what are your suggestions? What are your suggestions for what would a, com- a compromise be? Green, lavender. Yeah, something that has some vibrancy, but some fitting in. Now, we want to. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish compromise from the last one. The last one is going to be the both end, the win-win solution. And this is again, we have to know what the underlying interest is. In this case, we're looking for something which is both vibrant and fits in with the community. And this is where tremendous creativity is necessary. And so your, your answer was go, definitely going in that direction. It was to have what? Have, have uh, a light blue on the main part of the house, but have very vibrant trim. <laughs> right. or, or have the door. You know? Have the door. Like, actually, my door is bright red. Have the door bright red, or find some ways of having the vibrancy. Again, It'll be subtle as to what's compromised, but something like that 
you know, it would it'd probably be more in the sense of the person, does this really, does this really um, meet my need for vibrancy, right? Or does this need my need, meet my need for fitting in? And so what we're going to want to do in this is be aware of all five of those alternatives. And I would suggest in, if you find any conflicts, even small, in the next week, one exercise to do is just to see how do each of, each of these five take shape. So let me, let's, let's just do this a, a little bit briefly, okay? So again, a, a, simple, uh, a simple conflict. Um, I really, um, you know, where should I, what should I do this evening? Okay, it's Friday evening, let's say, um, I have felt uh, I've been in an office too much and I want to, uh, you know, have something that has some aliveness to it. That's my underlying value. And my partner has done too much but really just wants quiet, okay? So we have seeking quiet and peace as one value and uh, something that has aliveness and on the other, okay? So what, and, and let's say we're talking, what would avoidance look like? <laughs> <laughs> what might it what might it look like for for good and bad, right? Well, the one partner stays home and the other one goes out. Okay, well that might be a maybe more that's probably more of a compromise. Yeah, but again there's it's a thin line sometimes between this. Avoidance might just be we stop talking with each other. Yeah, maybe each person does what he or she wants. That might be a form of avoidance, right? We don't actually deal with the issue together. So I think you're actually right. I think I was I think your inclination was right there. And so a compromise might be... What? Go out for a little while. Go out for a little while and stay home for a little while. Or it could be, you know, could, could be we do it my way this week and your way next week or something like that, right? And uh, what might the, now the, what we're really wanting are, are these both and or win-win resolutions, you know, because uh, that's actually deeply meeting the needs of both sides. And so what would that look like in this situation? Hot tub. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. hot tub. A quiet, stimulating <laughs> evening in the hot tub. <laughs> okay. okay. Have you had a lot of previous experience with conflict transformation? <laughs> okay. uh, what would some others be? Go to the movie. So it could be quiet, but it could also be stimulating, right? So you see, do you feel your creativity developing, trying to think of this? It's, it's, it's actually fun. You know, what, what, when Galtug had us train, he would have a, he would, we did one conflict after another. He would give it, and we'd be in small groups of four or five, and we'd have ten minutes to work it out. You know, and I, maybe I'll do a little more of that next week. Because it, it was, I found it incredible. It was fun. And the, the key is like that the, uh, the win-win or the both-and model really takes creativity. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, maybe I'll just end with an actual personal story of this. And then we'll, then we'll open things up. Because what I'm... Um, maybe, let me add one more piece. When we're in a conflict, to really know the underlying value, especially of the other, requires empathy. It requires actually sometimes active empathy to say what really matters for this person. And if it's an inner conflict, it would be what really matters uh, whether I stay in this job or don't stay in this job. And we actually, that's the level we have to go for. In some, in the Harvard Negotiation Project, it's called the interests. Some people call it needs. You know, some people call it underlying values or what matters. That is the key to working skillfully with conflict is to touch in on that in oneself and other, and that requires empathy and compassion, right? And so that, and it actually requires sometimes an active effort because often in conflicts, things are polarized, right? Things are polarized and empathy goes out the window, especially for our more difficult ones. And it's very, very lacking when conflicts get to the point where they make the newspapers, right? Empathy is lacking, and so, and but deep, Peacemaking and healing is going to require this. And I do believe that this model that, we're, that I'm offering actually in its essence is fully capable of resolving the most protracted conflicts in the world. But it requires, like Galton was saying, kind of like a, 
almost like a culture of peace. So we have to develop in these abilities, then we bring it out into our different settings, family, work, and try to do things in a different way than the conditioning might be. So I'll tell a story to, to finish, a personal story, which actually just happened a little while ago. So, um, let's see. This happened, happened a while ago. I was, um, I was lined up to teach with a colleague. And this was an event at a place which um, didn't work with Donna, but worked with fees. And we had low registration. Okay. And we, um, we had a conversation about it. And I think we did actually uh, quite well in really hearing what really mattered for the other person, actually being very creative with, with a resolution. So for me, the underlying value was especially because we had two people and there was low registration, uh, the fees were going to be very, very low very, very low payment. And um, that didn't really work very well for me. And plus there were some other issues about how we were doing this and I was feeling less compelled by the way we had set up the material. Um, probably the first one was, was the key issue. Right? It was a key issue, but both were there. And for my colleague, he really valued the connection with the place. And really, it was very important for him to be able to offer this. See, I was tending towards cancellation. Right? And he was very much wanting to um, really keep the connection with the place so he could keep coming back there every year, even if this one kind of squeaked through with lower registration. Right? Right? So you could see, there's, that's a conflict, right? So he was tending towards wanting to uh, not cancel. Right? So what do we do? You could easily see how this could get rancorous, right? Or it could get polarized, right? And, and so we were able to really, I think, respectfully hear everything from each other. You know, and I know when I spoke my, what was there for me, he said, you know, I really hear that that was important for you and I can really hear that and respect that. That felt great. That was empathy, right? That was empathy. And then I, and I could also speak in a way that he knew that he was heard. I could say, oh, it really matters for you to keep that connection. And out of that, we, I think we went to a non-attached place where we actually started being incredibly creative about other options that we hadn't, neither of us had thought about before that discussion, right? And we, started be, and we, we weren't saying, how should I apply Johann Galtung's non-dual conflict <laughs> transformation model. Didn't go there, but we just, I think we both had background in these uh, capacities. And so we actually went to a lot of creative ideas like, oh, um, maybe I can do it myself. <laughs> and, and you can guide me for the parts that you bring to our collaboration. Or maybe you can come down for just uh, a short time and participate in that way and then we can make it happen and it'll be in the flow. And it was a wonderful feeling after that discussion. Right? We had heard each other. The creativity was not expected, but it just seemed to occur naturally when there was empathy and sincere wish to help meet the other's needs and our own needs. Right? So that's what's, I think, being asked for. And again, we practice with, with situations that was not hugely difficult for us. I think partly because we both Although we didn't talk about the model, we had it and we were working with it, right? And this will be a harder situation when the other person maybe is into a dualistic conflict resolution, like my way, right? So there, there are challenges. But what my invitation is, is for the next week to, to start seeing your experience through the lens of conflict, see what comes up, work with reactivity, and um, bring your awareness to the dynamics. Where is the conditioning? Where is, uh, you know, where do things, um, where do things come up for you? And especially in this situation, what were those five options look like? Look at that and then say, especially, don't just focus on the both end. You want to really have uh, fluency with the model. Focus on what do the others look like, but especially go for the both end.
Maybe I'll finish with uh, the Buddha. Anger, confusion, and dishonesty arise when think things are set in pairs as opposites. <laughs> so we want to look for that uh, sense of reconciliation, connection, and watch the tendency to form into dualistic pairs. Um, questions, uh, observations, points? Please. Read that one more time. What the Buddha said. This, this is one expression of what would be called the middle way. The middle way was uh, actually not so much compromising between the poles, but actually going beyond the system of opposites held strictly against each other. He sometimes talks about it as avoiding the extremes or avoiding situations which are defined by things set off as extremes. You want to basically, there are different ways to resolve it, but this is one way he said it. Anger, confusion, and dishonesty arise when things are set in pairs as opposites. So I think I'm interpreting that as when they're set off as polar opposites, not in relation to each other. Extremes, or again, I'm connecting that with dualistic ways to, to resolve conflicts. Uh, please, yeah. Um, to me, the system is rigged, mm -hmm. and walking into it, you're, it's a setup, and <laughs> welcome to my world. Mm -hmm. And even talking about conflict got me agitated. Mm -hmm. I actually got agitated once you started into this topic. Mm -hmm. Um, I blame you <laughs> for everything. But, but what? How? Okay. How do you get? How do you get beyond this? Well, I have a red shirt. You have a blue shirt. Well, it's not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, please. Right, exactly. Precisely. Yeah. Red yeah. versus blue. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. I'm political, yeah. so it's just another day, and it's very adversarial. Yeah. And, and not just adversarial in the political realm, in the business realm, yeah. in all these realms. It's just, really, how are we going to resolve these conflicts? Because winner take all. Yeah. Yeah, and so you, when you say that it's rigged, it's saying that most, many of the existing systems are set up uh, with in, in a dualistic way? For example, yeah. let's take family law. Yeah. You, you walk in, child custody. Yeah. It's Smith versus Smith. Well, that's not necessarily so. The best interest of the children is not Smith versus Smith. Yeah. It's Smith and Smith. But you read your petition for dissolution. It's, it's a lawsuit right on the cover. You are pushed by we the legal system. should use the microphones for the yeah so um, yeah I think I think you're it's it's helpful to just to point out how much many of the systems we work with are um, make what we're talking about very very difficult right um, and that and I mentioned that law is is typically structured in an adversarial way right and there are options though you know uh, Marty is very involved with others, and I've worked with the group. Is it the uh, collab? collab uh, but there are groups of lawyers interested in collaboration and mediation. Um, please, uh, why don't we give, give Marty the giving you a workout? <laughs> yeah. It does have to do with developing peace models, and in my field, I am a lawyer. I am a family law attorney, but I work as a collaborative family law attorney and I also work in a model which I'm very excited about called integrative mediation where uh, a therapist and an attorney work together as a team with a divorcing couple and help them do exactly what Donald is talking about really recognizing each other's deeper interest needs and goals really verbalizing those. You have to have compassion for yourself 
to even realize what your deeper interests are because people tend to start with a position and which is really way at the bottom of a model which starts with, first of all, putting into place a way of working together to reach a resolution, then gathering all of the information which also involves understanding and hearing each other's needs and goals and interests, what's important to each, and then moving down to looking for creative ways to work with the information and come to creative resolution. And I see this work incredibly well uh, when you have an interdisciplinary approach that can bring in uh, the communication dynamic and looking at just all of the different things that go on in conflict and have people work with that and bringing in compassion, bringing in uh, maybe a financial professional to help work with complicated information uh, and process it. Anyway, uh, integrative mediation and collaboration are two models that have, uh, are peace models within the legal or maybe outside of the legal. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, thank you, Marty. And I think, remind me of your name? Chris. Uh, Chris. I think Chris's point shows how, in a lot of settings, working with this model is very challenging. You know, so we really, I think, um, uh, to bring it into very other settings, you know, for some it might be a lifetime's work, as it is for people who are doing forms of mediation or restorative justice. It's, it's bringing new models into settings which have been defined by... Uh, very dualistic uh, conflict models, but it's possible. And but I think the core is really how do, we, how do we do that ourselves? Because you could really see even our meditation practice as very connected with this. We really, we don't just in meditation look for the pleasant, right? But we actually open in a way where we don't create this uh, division between this is good, this is bad in my own experience, but we try to be aware and give room for what's there, so we don't really have these um, inner conflicts. And then we can work with inner conflicts, again, um, using this model, I think, in a way that can be quite helpful. But so the, the um, emphasis I've been given, giving here is to work with this at the simpler, less difficult uh, levels, or the examples really get familiar with this model, then it takes a lot of creativity to bring it into more complex systems. But there are a lot of examples in the world. You know, someone like Dr. King, look at his work, it's a model of this, right? At a, in, with very complex social systems, right? And, um, you know, I mean, he talked about his aim as reconciliation and creating the beloved community and, you know, having very strong action, but in a non-dual way. So that, that's one example, you know. But, it's, um, so I think, the, I think it's very, very possible, but the, I think what we can especially offer, I think, to the world is grounding all of this in how we are individually and how we are in our relationships, right? And then connect that with larger issues. But that, I think that connection is crucial for the world right now. And it's really, because it really is the basis, we would say, for a culture of peace. And without that, it's hard to see how these would have um, really uh, the support that they need to really uh, be strong. Yeah. So the invitation is in the next week to uh, look at this ordinary, simple conflicts like the ones we've been looking at, as well as you can think of bringing them to even the, the big conflicts in the world and see, because I think if you looked at them, try to look at them through that lens. And how do you see them? Yeah. Galtung has a book called 45 Conflicts, 45 Resolutions. Because <laughs> you, know? you can look at it like this. It's actually surprising to use that lens because a lot of what seems like incredibly murky and so forth, actually when you use that lens, it actually is not as murky. And it's the basis for peacemaking. And maybe I'll tell some stories because I've done some work in mediating difficult situations. And it, what one develops are the eyes that sort of look for the both ends. 
right? Uh, look for the win-win and uh, do it almost intuitively. Sometimes can be in a thorny situation, just have a sense, oh, this is the way to go. Right? So it's, uh, it's a way of seeing. So we're training. Okay? So may this be a benefit to ourselves, may it be a benefit to others, ultimately all others. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.